Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this on Monday, November the 7th. Welcome to the podcast daily. I'm Jeremy Birmingham. That's Bill Landis. This is the Monday rewatch. Unfortunately, Bill and I had to watch this Ohio State Northwestern game twice. And uh, I'm not sure it got better the second time as I rewatched it, Bill. But I'm also going to say that some of the reaction that is immediate after a game like that, especially watching it on the field, um, is at least tempered a bit and tapered down a touch because my opinion about the way the defense played kind of shifted. Um, it didn't change as far as thinking that like there were things that happened that shouldn't have happened, like defensive line rotation, but I'm not going to make that a big thing. It does just make me wonder what's causing it, but or, or why it's happening when it is in the key moments of the games like it is. But again, I'm not going to belabor that point too much. Ohio State's 9-0. They beat Northwestern 21 to 7 on a day that the first thing I really felt rewatching the game is that TV did not do justice to how (laughs) (laughs) how bad it was um, at field level in in Ryan Field, because with wind, you can't really see it on TV. Um, You even you in the press box said after the game, you didn't really notice what the temperature or what the weather was like until it was raining and you saw it going directly sideways. And I actually remember the first play of this game on the rewatch. You see C.J. Stroud come to the line of scrimmage, and he's squinting because the wind is blowing directly into his eyes. And, and I don't think that that was really – I don't know. You don't want to talk about the weather the whole time because it, it sounds like an excuse, and obviously both teams have to deal with it. But it was a much more inclement day than perhaps it looked on television. Yeah, I felt that too. Watching watching the the broadcast, um, had a better feel for it there in person, but not not the the front row seat that you had. Um, but you get you know it was bad. Like I said on the on the pregame um, podcast that we did, that that when the wind gusted sort of to to its full potential, it knocked me back a couple times yeah. because that's how that's how strong it was. Um, so like I I I don't want to talk too much about the weather either because it does sound like excuse making. I guess the only thing I'll say is, um, it. If you have concerns about Ohio State's ability to play in inclement weather, I think those are fair. Uh, if you are assuming that this was like quote unquote normal Midwestern weather, it was yeah. not. <laughs> it yeah. was very, very much out of the ordinary uh, for that wind to be gusting the way it was. And then even when it wasn't gusting, it was still blowing pretty steadily. It had to be at least 30 miles an hour. Like it was just nonstop throughout the day. So um, it might happen again. And if you're worried about it happening again, like I, I think that's all well and good. But I just don't want people to come away thinking like, oh, well, what it was cold and they played bad. Like, no, that was weird. That That is that is not uh, a normal Midwestern november uh big 10 football game no it was not like it it was windy and then it stopped it was windy 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 and then it got really windy and then it got super windy and then it slowed down and was just really windy and and it was not like it wasn't just gusty like it was straight up windy the entire game i mean you guys were were laughing about it in the car on the way to chicago saying that you know the temperature was or the weather forecast was saying gale force winds but like that's what it was. And uh, it was it was definitely abnormal. And that leads me to my very first note, which is it's abnormal that JT Tuimaloa dropped an obvious pick six on Northwestern's first drive of the game that would have, I think, and I said this on Saturday night uh, as we were back in the hotel, like that would have just changed the entire game right there. The game would have been over essentially from the third play of the game for for Northwestern. But it just speaks to kind of how difficult and different this entire day was because this is a situation where the Northwestern right tackle just basically let JT rush him instead of going out and getting him. 
and I don't think JT was ready for it to be that easy on that first play. Yeah, but I still I still thought it was a little bit of a heady play from JT because he didn't. There was like kind of a free release there, but he didn't take up off the field. Like I think I think the idea is there you kind of give him that space and let him take himself out of the play. But instead, he he kind of had his eyes up on the quarterback, saw what's happening. He got his hands up, uh, just couldn't quite make the catch. I'm not I'm not going to fault him too much for that yeah. based on what he did in the Penn State game. But I do think you're right um, that that probably changes the tenor of things a little bit if you can start the game with a defensive score there for Ohio State. Maybe that helps settle in the offense a, a little bit more. But um, I still think it would have been pretty tough sledding I, either way, um, especially the, the the thing I felt. During the game, and the thing I continue to feel having rewatched it is, is Ohio State probably tried a little too hard to throw the ball in that game, and, and maybe could have. Maybe it sounds counterintuitive because of the rushing game struggles, but to drop back and try to pass almost thirty times on a day when when the wind was blowing like that just just seemed to probably put the offense in, in some tougher situations than it needed to be. Yeah, and watching it the first time, I thought that the Buckeyes were pretty even with like when they were throwing it, which quarter, but they only threw it nine times into the wind in the entire game. And so I think they were obviously adapting to that. Mm-hmm. You know, the first quarter and the um, third quarter, they only threw it, uh, first quarter and fourth quarter, they only fourth threw quarter. it into the wind nine times. So they obviously were recognizing that it was going to be difficult. And I think that what you, they weren't expecting was that throwing with the wind was actually just as challenging because, again, if you're a receiver running a route and all of a sudden the ball that you expect is coming at you 40 miles an hour ends up coming at you 60 because the wind gust picks it up, it becomes like trying to catch a, a change up when you're expecting a fastball or expecting a fastball when or, you know, trying to catch a fastball when you're expecting a change up. And mm-hmm. it changes the way you view everything. And you could see that all of the drops came um, going with the wind. Right, uh, Kate's that sounds drops. right. Yeah. Uh, yep. So I mean, I think that there was actually something to the, you know, as you mentioned in Snap Judgments, um, Emeka Buka talked about eye discipline, and I think it's pretty clear that if you rewatch it with all of the drops going with the ball, going in with the wind, it, it changes the way that you're expecting things to get on you, and um, certainly made it a little bit difficult to catch. I mean, again, I don't want to talk about the weather the whole time, but if we don't talk about the weather when talking about the offensive game plan in the offensive you know, play calling, then I think that we're not being fair because clearly that's what dictated everything they did offensively. Yeah. And, I, I, go ahead. North, Northwestern, I think, had a drop two going that way. Maybe they might have had two drops going that way. One was like a crucial one late, late yes. in the game when it was 14 to seven um, and they were trying to move the ball there a little bit. But it, I guess I, I don't – I don't want to overanalyze either team's passing game <laughs> from this day because it's just really hard to tell – like there were there were some plays I think if you're watching it as Ohio State fan you think to yourself like man CJ looks off or he missed that throw or there were some definitely some some miscommunications on where routes were supposed to go it looked like one time CJ kind of blamed himself and the other time maybe he thought the receiver should have been somewhere else but on the misfires and and honestly even some of the drops like I don't know I don't want to read too too much into that because of the conditions um, but on the flip side of that I think I think you can still glean a lot from Ohio State's inability to move Northwestern off the line of scrimmage, even in those conditions, because that's something I think you should be able to do no matter what kind of conditions you're playing in. Yeah, if I'm if I'm going to circle one thing coming out of this game that I'm most worried about, uh, it's that. Uh, the Buckeyes' inability to get a push in the running game, and, and it feels like it's almost entirely on the right side of the offensive line when you're not getting the push, but if you rewatch Donovan Jackson again, it did not have a great game. He is seem to take a, a couple steps backwards. Matthew Jones, as we've talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks, does not seem to be himself, is not playing at the same level he played at the beginning of the season. And 
You don't know how much of it is the injury or what, but whatever's happening, he's ending up on his uh, body, laying on the ground a lot when he when he shouldn't be. There's just no drive. They're just not getting any push from those guys. And I, I think that, you know, Luke Whipler, I thought, played a, another fairly decent game. Uh, the pass protection mm-hmm. was good for the most part from Ohio State. Uh, Paris Johnson played a, a pretty good game from what I could see. I didn't see any moments in the in the even in the run blocking where he looked like he was um, whiffing or, or or really getting beat up. Uh, I just I, there's just no push up the middle from from Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones right now, and it, it is that is my biggest concern moving forward for Ohio State. I th- there were a couple plays where where after the play, like his guys are kind of like walking around, they get back to the line of scrimmage or get back to the huddle or whatever. Just like Matt Jones didn't look comfortable, was like limping around, and we and we know we don't know exactly what he's dealing with with that foot, um, but we know that that it's a lower leg thing that's kind of been bothering him all year, and I suspect that's catching up to him. But and I also wonder too that I wonder if it's not a coincidence that the two guys on the offensive line who have never played a full season of college football as offensive linemen seem to be wearing down a little bit. And Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones, like Matthew Jones is a veteran, but this is the first time he's been a full-time starter. Donovan Jackson is is a sophomore who never started before this year either. And I do think that that those are the two weak spots that you identify right now. Um, They're just not getting the knockback when, when they do do those, wide hitting zone runs they're they're kind of getting pushed back a little bit they're getting creased and, and guys are getting getting through there and, and that's blowing up a, a lot of these runs but like i don't i don't know what the solution is to that like i don't i don't think you're going to replace both your guards yeah um maybe maybe if matthew jones is hurt and it does seem to be the case maybe you think about sitting him down and maybe giving enoch with uh, a try but i don't know you're this late in the season I, I i think that's a delicate thing to mess with the offensive line chemistry too so i i don't know that there's like an easy answer to that yeah and i don't like to be the type to say oh well you know here it is uh, these guys are put these guys aren't good and you just play someone else because obviously we don't get to see the buckeyes in practice every day we don't get to see what justin fry and the other coaches see so clearly they're playing the guys are playing for a reason and matthew jones must still be doing things the right way in practice. Uh, but obviously practice is different than the game in practice. You know, pretty much exactly what the opposing player is going to do. You've played against the same guy for the last four months straight. You know, all the moves of, of every, every player. Um, you know, to me, as you're watching these guys play, I just seeing that they're just not getting a push and I don't know mm-hmm. what is caught. There's just not enough drive from those guys and with Matthew Jones if it is a foot issue you can sort of understand that if he's not able to get enough leverage to to really move a guy but you know you're seeing Ohio State having to and it's running backs having to make adjustments in the backfield nearly every every play and kudos to Mayan Williams who you know re-watching this game I thought he played pretty well actually all things considered yeah. um, for, for the number of times that he was met in the backfield and had to make plays and you wrote about it on on Sunday at OhioState.Rivals.com, like he was, he only had one loss, uh, one carry for negative yards, and that says something for 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 Mayan Williams based on what you see on the tape because it looks like he's being forced to make his first move two yards deep nearly every time. Yeah, he probably, I mean, he should have probably had four or five negative runs in this game, and and it's not um it's not a position I think you want to be in, but they really need him right now because he is, he is the guy who's capable of, of turning nothing into something. I think at, at a greater rate than Travion Henderson is when he's healthy and available. Um, I thought it was like super impressive for Mayan to basically not play last week, have the knee thing that's been lingering for him, have the hand thing that popped up last week at Penn state, 
come into the game kind of cold and crappy conditions when you know or where they know that you're going to run the ball and he carries it 26 times for 111 yards on a, on a day when they really needed it. So I, I it's not a uh, – if you like scroll his game log, I don't know if it's a game that will really jump out at you immediately, but given the context of it, I thought it was probably his best performance of the year. Yeah, and not to sound too like cliche or, or too much like I'm supporting – an agenda of some sort, but this is another game where you saw the Ohio State offensive line and Mayan Williams really start to wear down the opponent in the fourth quarter, and mm-hmm. those runs were getting chunkier and chunkier as, as things went along. And and I don't have a lot of notes on the offense because, as we said Saturday after the game, like I don't think that there's a lot of reason to carry this tape forward, with the exception of the man-to-man execution of the offensive line. Which, again, you know, that said, I, I do I do think that the Buckeyes tried to be a little bit more creative in the running game. They ran a lot of different stuff. They didn't run the same, you know, formation over and over again or same blocking scheme over and over again. They did a lot of different things. But when you're trying to run with nine guys in the box, it's not easy. And, again, kudos to Myron Williams for making things happen and and for C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day to adjust to that and and realizing that he had to try to even up the numbers a little bit uh, with C.J. Stroud in the running game because that really is what won the game for Ohio State. But I think it was funny, like, on the in the second first quarter, um, CJ had that first run of the day where you could sort of see that he would realize he was going to need to do some of that. And it's third and eight, and he runs for seven. And you just see the inexperience running the ball because he doesn't do the thing that everyone does where you put out the ball or or you just take that extra step and skirt out of bounds. Instead, he just went out of bounds. And it's like, this is where maybe running a little bit more, you'd have a, a little bit better feel for that. Yeah, he had it in his left hand on the inside hand um, closest to the sideline. And if he, honestly, if he just had it in his right hand, it probably would have been a first down. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that is a little bit of an experience. Or it's just uh, – I, I don't want to say lack of awareness because that probably sounds too critical. But um, I just think, yeah, it's something he has to get comfortable with. But I, he's another guy, too, who, again, like maybe maybe he didn't have his best stuff throwing the ball. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to gauge given the conditions. But um, for him to run the way he did – I thought was a good sign for him to block or I don't know if block might be the wrong word, but, but interfere with a defender on the Mayan Williams touchdown run, I thought was good to see from him too. So I don't know. There, there are things you can pull from this that, that I think can make you feel good or or maybe they're like, I don't know, quote unquote gritty or whatever. Um, I just like the offensive line is concerning to me. Um, It has been for the last two weeks. um, And, and I think maybe there are some people who, weren't as concerned about that coming in like over the last two weeks because those were better defenses like Northwestern's run defense is terrible um and and they got really worked up front a lot at least in the the beginning of the game and I just think they have to they have to be better than that and I don't know I I I asked Ryan about the run game a lot last week um I don't don't how excited do you think he's going to be to talk to you on Tuesday well that's the thing like I don't I don't know if I want to ask about it again and it's not because like I'm like tired of it or, or don't want to do it. It's just like, I don't, I don't know that the answer is going to be any different. And honestly, I'm at the place right now with, with the rushing attack where it's like, we'll see on November 26th. Like I, but we'll see. I, I don't, I don't think they're a very good rushing team right now. I don't know if they can get back to looking how they looked earlier in the year. I don't know if it's going to matter when they play Michigan, but we'll see if it does. But like the next two weeks, it's just like, I don't know. They can run for 300 yards and I don't think it'll mean very much, or they can run for 50 yards and I don't think it'll mean very much. I just want to see what it looks like when the time comes against Michigan and if it'll matter. So I don't yeah, know. I mean, they I, ran for 200 kind of on, yeah, they ran for 200 on Saturday, but, you know, uh, 76 of them are some from CJ Stroud and, and 15 of them are from Emeka Abuka. And so you start to, and that's all part of the running game. So kudos. I mean, I, I'd love to see more of a Mecca Buka in the running game or more in the pop mm-hmm. passes. You know, if you think back to the 
the 2018 offense with, with Paris Campbell and the things that that did for for the quarterback when he was struggling, the things, the things that that allowed JT Barrett and, and Dwayne Haskins and guys to do when they were using players like that, like Curtis Samuel and Paris Campbell. Emeka Ibuka has that sort of skill set. I think you should probably try to use it. He is not quite as short, you know, space quick as Jackson Smith and Jigba. So he's not as good like in the screen game as Jackson is. But if you give him the ball just moving forward, he's got a lot of wiggle and he's got a lot of straight line speed to get around the edge. And, you know, to me, that he reminds me a little bit of Paris Campbell in that way. Um, but he's a little bit bigger and, and maybe more physically ready to handle the, the rigors of that. So uh, I think that there's ways to just keep improving it from here on out. But you certainly aren't going to learn who you are against Indiana or, and Maryland like that. That test of like, what is our identity? Are we actually tough? Which has been the entire talk of the last 10 months. Uh, I I guess we thought maybe you had an answer about that in the first six mm-hmm. weeks. And uh, that answer does not feel the same right now. And I, I, I imagine those guys are going to take it personally. We saw it a little bit on Wednesday night, you know, when talking to the offensive linemen, they were taking it personally. But then you come out and, and get beat at the point of attack by Northwestern. I just I just don't think that that's excusable when you're talking about Ohio State football. That That is a major concern. Yeah, I, I do want to point out. Um, I, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, but number 99 for Northwestern. Um, I think it's at Ad, Atamuwa, Adaboware. Absolute monster! Like he was kicking butt that entire game up front. So, like, I want to make sure that we don't just when when stuff like this happens. Obviously, we analyze Ohio State and talk about what went wrong and what went right. But um, I like every now and then to point out a guy who who plays really well for the other team. I've never heard of and that guy played had an excellent game. I mean, that is the thing. Like, these guys are all on scholarship, you know, but Ohio State in, in general uh, is a much more talented team on the football field than the Northwestern is. What we saw on Saturday was the combination of a team that was much more disciplined and a team that really was just playing because they had nothing to lose. And, and I, I thought that in that situation, as I said on Snap Judgments on Saturday, like when talent equates, it comes down to just personal execution. Are you doing your job? And I think at times, and Emeka Abuka alluded to that, he said, you know, sometimes they get a little bit lazy as the receivers because it always comes so easy to them. And I think the same can be said of the offensive line because when they get going, when they really are at their peak, they are a dominant unit, but they're not being one right now. And they only have a short amount of time to get that right because it's November 7th and Michigan's in 19 days. And Michigan does not seem to be having any problems with their attitude up front. Um, they have their own problems. Uh, obviously, it's not a, a flawless football team, but their strength certainly seems to match up fairly well with what appears to be Ohio State's weakness. It does, um, and I, I I don't know. Maybe some people feel that might be the case too on on the defensive side of the ball, based off what they saw in this game. I don't know. What did you think of rewatching the way Northwestern was able to run the ball a little bit? You know, that's where I think I have the the biggest difference of opinion from Saturday to now. Um, We'll talk about it uh, after this break. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that the guys that played okay played okay. Um, my biggest issue with rewatching the defense on Saturday was the cons, the combination of linebackers and safeties being a little bit slow to trigger at a point and in a game where. It seemed pretty obvious Northwestern was not going to throw the ball. So um, when they are trying to run the Wildcat, when they have the situation set up where they're running a ton of read option, I don't know what Lathan Ransom, Ronnie Hickman, 
and those guys were playing back the way they were for i don't think steel chambers played a particularly good game though i did have obviously a big tackle in the second quarter that led to the punt which led to ohio state's first touchdown um and so you know that was a huge moment for him he also saved a, another a third and eight run you know stop uh stopped a, the quarterback scramble I just see this as a concern down the road when you're playing against teams that can actually throw the ball out of these formations, and and that's my biggest concern. I Defensive line-wise, as we talked about, my only real concern is that Larry Johnson continues to play guys that are just not making anything happen. When you have 40 snaps between Jerron Cage and Ty Hamilton and you get two tackles out of them in a game that Northwestern ran the ball 60 times, I just don't understand – what the impulse is to continue playing them. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel as well. Um, I wrote about it on, on Rivals on Sunday morning, but my, my things with defense are defensive line rotation, which you just uh, also voice concern about, and um, the, the slowness to adjust to some bigger personnel packages from Northwestern. Um, just getting an extra linebacker out there when it's, when it's uh, six, seven offensive linemen and uh, two other tight ends out there like you just you just need more bigger bodies and that's not a criticism of the four two five in general like i don't want it to come off that way i know some people had concerns about that coming into the season i don't think that's what happened i think the four two five is a, is a fine defensive structure to defend the run uh, and jim Knowles' oklahoma state defense was an excellent run defense last year um and has been pretty good this year by and large playing out of a four two five but when teams do what northwestern was doing which is take your quarterback off the field and basically play single wing football with a bunch of linemen um you need to get some bigger bodies on the field, and when they did that, I thought I thought it looked okay. They had um, the back to back plays in was it the four, was it the fourth quarter, right? Um, when Tommy Eichenberg jumped over the pile to stop the quarterback sneak, lost his helmet, had to come off the field, and then on third the next quarter. play, third was, quarter, third quarter, uh, first drive of the third quarter. You're right, you're yeah. Right. Uh, ball ball near midfield, Northwestern threatening to to drive it uh, again and possibly score. Tommy Eichenberg jumps over the pocket, the QB sneaks uh, stop on third and one. Fourth and one, they have four linebackers out there. Tommy's not one of them because he lost his helmet. Uh, but Teron Vincent just like stood up. I think it was the center, build a wall there. Palier note comes crashing off the edge. Uh, there was a third player in there too. Ronnie yeah, Hickman. Lathan maybe, Ransom, I think, is the guy Lathan that made Ransom, the yeah. yeah. Just like really, really good point of attack, stout, short yardage defense. So like that, that I thought was encouraging because that's certainly something they're going to need uh, when they go up against Michigan. So it wasn't all bad, but I, I think the, the bad that we saw – seemed like maybe it was more personnel driven than anything else so i don't that seems maybe relatively easy to address so long as they play the the top guys when it matters, matters most yeah but it's also about the top guys learning how to identify things that they haven't seen much of this year the buckeyes for uh, as modern as college football has gotten with offenses have not played a lot of that read option stuff this year they mm -hmm. uh, you know zach harrison and jt Twomala played it pretty well against uh, penn state i thought they both struggled a little bit on on saturday figuring out what to do uh, with the quarterback keep option there and, and crash down a lot of times, which is fine if the linebackers and safeties are making tackles. And yeah, there's got to be somebody else there. <laughs> unfortunately, what happened on Saturday was that those guys didn't seem to be in position to make the tackles. And, and I don't know why that was. If it was because, as you mentioned, you know, Northwestern essentially has nine offensive linemen out there, they've got tight ends wearing number 98. And, and, you know, that are six foot five, 280 pounds blocking Lathan Ransom. But ultimately, JT Tuomaloa made a number of big plays when it mattered. He had a couple really nice plays in the fourth quarter. I thought Zach Harrison 
played a kind of muted game overall. Uh, Jack Sawyer was in a couple of times where he had chances to make plays and just missed, uh, you know, and that was sort of the, the whole day. Like, and I don't know if it's the grass. I don't know if it was just not knowing where the ball was going to be, if it was just, the, you know, eye discipline not being where it needed to be. But I didn't feel like the Buckeye defense played anywhere near the speed it's been playing the first eight weeks of the season. They just looked a little uncertain of what to do. And multiple times you see them looking over at the sideline, hands up, going, what are we doing? And that's just not something we've seen all year long. And it is something that I've talked about with Austin on previous you know, podcasts in the last couple of years. That happened all the time in 2021 where they'd look to the sideline and be like, I don't know what we're doing. And for whatever reason, the communication just did not seem to be as efficient on Saturday as it has been all year. I agree. Um, it's kind of like front of mind for me to ask Jim Knowles about when I'm assuming we'll talk to him on Tuesday. I know Austin and I usually do that Tuesday mornings on the daily, but um, that that was new. I, I don't recall seeing that at any other point this year. Just and, and confusion. Like they weren't running around like with their heads cut off, but they were looking to the sideline quite late. And at times I thought to myself, well, they're not they're not going to get set before the ball was snapped. And they would get set like just before the ball was snapped. And I don't know. I I have to be honest. I didn't watch Tunnel Northwestern going into that game. I don't know if, if those formations are things that didn't show up a lot on tape or or if the quarterback run stuff is something they weren't really concerned about. So they didn't work on it much because there was when you're defending that and the end squeezes down as aggressively as those guys were. Typically, you're doing that because you think that there's a linebacker who's kind of scraping over the top and replacing you who has to take the quarterback. And I don't know if that happened one time. No, I don't I don't know if that's because those guys at second level weren't executing their job as they were told to do or if they just didn't have those calls in because they weren't expecting what they saw. But but clearly there was something off with the way that they wanted to attack Northwestern um, in that game or, or or they were called off guard a little bit maybe by the way that Northwestern was attacking them. Uh, which did feel a little out of character for a defense that largely has felt like very organized and and very quick to find answers this year. So um, I don't I'm not like looking at that thinking to myself like oh boy they've got a problem because it, it hasn't really crept up much before this, but it did stick out because of how infrequently it had happened prior to that game. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out if I'm overreacting to what I've seen out of J.K. Johnson the last couple of weeks. He just seems really reluctant uh, to hit people. Um, it seems a little bit like he's being pushed around by wide receivers uh like you know he had the, on the touchdown from northwestern he was obviously you know being blocked by a, a left tackle and, and had no chance but it just mm -hmm. seems like he's not being as physical as he was in his first couple opportunities to play and i think that's why we saw jair brown so early and so often in the game against northwestern because jair is a guy that is going to throw his head into a pile and, and hit someone um i'm now curious again about Jordan Hancock. He did not play at all on Saturday, and I have no idea why that is. Um, he did not seem to be having any sort of injury issues. We saw Denzel Burke get banged up a little bit and, and do some limping around. We saw the same out of Jack Sawyer, the same out of Cade Stover. Um, yeah, obviously, Matthew Jones had to you know take a, the first couple plays of the game. He had, his shoe fell off on the on the first play, and he had to take some reps out and. Enoch Vamahi gets in, and they just seem to just be entirely, as a as a team, just not ready for contact on Saturday. I don't know why it was. G. Scott dropped, you know, you got to fight through and catch the ball. And if you think about the first series of the game, you have, you know, the the, the completions or incompletions in the first couple series to G. Scott, to, to Julian Fleming. The Buckeyes just not doing things that they have done all year long and fight through and make a catch in, in, in traffic and – um 
you know, watching Cade Stover drop balls, watching the the lack of physical pressure from Teron Vincent or from uh, Zach Harrison. I mean, again, uh, Michael Hall played what nineteen snaps, but when he was mm-hmm. in there, he seemed to be effective and and uh, you know able to create a pass rush right up the middle. But then he just doesn't play. So it's just I just don't. I just felt like as a team, they they totally slept walked into this game, and I thought it was more evident that they did that on TV. It, yeah, they, and I guess it's not ultimately surprising that they would Com- coming off of the game they came off of playing this opponent, uh, walking into that stadium where there's absolutely no juice. Like it, that's it's it's part of the fight of college football to kind of like be locked in week to week, and I don't I don't know that any team does that. Um, so I don't think that, that makes Ohio State abnormal. It's just that that happened and it ended coincided with crazy weather where they're basically relegated to being one dimensional. Now I don't, I don't say that as an excuse cause I do think there are like a real problems right now. I think there, there are two things. If I had to pick one thing on each side of the ball and I was talking about this with Austin in the car ride um, after he dropped you off and we're driving back to Columbus. Uh, he, uh, he, he brought up this point that um, it felt like over the beginning of the season, you heard a lot of like, Oh, we're doing good on good in practice. Like practice has been really physical and I think, I think that had been ratcheted up a little bit during the week, and you were seeing the benefits of it on Saturdays. Now you're late in the year. You want to make sure guys are healthy for the, for the home stretch. I wonder if they're pulling back a little bit on that at all during practice, and then the result is you get in the games on Saturday where the two things that stick out to me right now are the offensive line just not getting on and staying on blocks and creating movement, and I think like tackling for the defense too has been has been pretty they had 15 missed tackles according to pro football focus in this game and i think it happened in the iowa game and the penn state game where just guys are hitting people and sort of falling off or hitting and not wrapping up um those two things combined are kind of problematic to me because football at its base form is blocking and tackling um and i don't think ohio state's doing uh, either particularly well at the moment it's funny though i mean you know a month ago the question was hey are you guys going to dial this back in practice as you get into the later half of the season because you got a bunch of dudes getting hurt uh and and now the question has to be asked are you doing it enough and it just speaks to the weird balance that you have to have to have a successful season And, and i think the biggest thing to me is that it's concerning is because ryan day has made it a point over and over and over to talk about competitive stamina um and then you go out and you lay this egg and again, you I say that knowing fully that it was a bizarre day. Like it's an anomaly in not just a football way, but like world w- way. Like it was a weird day. The weather was very strange. But no one cares if the weather's good. like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like and, and and it's fine. And I think that if you look at the way that the the pollsters reacted, I think people understand it. Um, I think. You know, for Ohio State fans out there, they're like, oh, the Buckeyes are struggling. Oh, the weather has to be perfect for them, blah, blah, blah. I don't buy that at all. C.J. Stroud threw for almost 500 yards in terrible conditions at, at Michigan last year. But if you watch the third and fourth quarter of the Georgia-Tennessee game, you saw what weather does to, to teams. The, that game completely changed. Teams couldn't move the ball. couldn't hold on to the ball. Like, that is playing in the Midwest. And the question is, if you're a team built almost exclusively for – uh, you know, the run and gun of fun and gun, whatever you want to call it. When you have a moment like this, do you have the ability to switch what you're doing and, and do it well enough to beat anyone in the country? And that is what everything is about for Ohio State from this point forward. Do you have enough? If we come into November 26th and it's 37 degrees and snowing and rain or, and wind blowing, 
Are you going to be man enough to line up across from the Michigan's interior offensive and defensive lines and win the game? And I think that there's a legitimate question to be had or to be asked about that right now because you don't see those guys, and I'm saying this on the offensive line and defensive line, whichever defensive linemen are in, I don't see them out there believing that they are going to dominate people, and that is a concern to me because that running the ball, you know, you talk about football being about tackling and blocking. Running the ball, running the ball effectively is just about attitude. It is about want to and saying, I am going to beat you. And I don't see that sort of swagger from this Ohio State offensive line right now that I would have anticipated. That is my that is my biggest concern. Yeah, I don't I don't feel it or see it either. Um I th- I thought maybe they were getting to it, and and perhaps I overstated where they were about midseason. Um, I don't know, and it, like it could very well play out that, that they don't need to be that to to accomplish their goals this year. But I think you want to be you want to be able to feel confident in it if it came to that point, and there's not a lot of reason to be confident in it right now. I don't I don't think there's any team in the country in you know even average to. And, and or better conditions that can stop Ohio State's passing attack. As long as they are able to throw the ball, I think they can throw the ball on anybody. But things could pop up between now and the playoff, or I guess now yeah. in the Big Ten championship, um, where that becomes difficult. And and I have not been encouraged by what I've seen in the last three weeks when it comes to believing that they could find a way to to get through that if they're not able to throw the ball. And that to me is I don't. I don't intend to be doom and gloom. I mean, the reality is if you look at everyone around the country, every team has clear deficiencies. Uh, Georgia can, I think is playing the best of anyone in the country right now over the course of the season. They should be number one on Tuesday, Ohio state up until the last two weeks, I think, or had been the best, most complete team in the country right now. I don't, I don't buy that. Um, but it's not like Georgia is flawless. They, they almost, you oh, know, yeah. They, yeah. they should have lost at Missouri. They, they could have very easily lost to Kent state, like th- this is not a situation where they're that much better, but they're they seem to be peaking and getting better where Ohio State seems to be not. And that is the the issue for me as I see it. But doesn't mean it's, you know, impossible to recover or that the Buckeyes are may as well just not even line up in November 26th. But you, you got to come out and figure out, do you want this and, and are you going to prove it on a weekly basis? And that means. This week, that means Indiana. That doesn't mean sleepwalk through another noon game against a team that doesn't belong on the field with you. You better, Indiana's not going to come out and be afraid of Ohio State. And that's the one thing I think has really changed in the last few years because of this belief that Ohio State is a soft team or that they are finesse. I don't see anyone in the league really thinking that they can, that they're going to come in to Ohio Stadium and not thinking they have a shot if they can just do one or two things right. And that, that's, that's, something that I wouldn't have anticipated a few years ago. And I, I think Ryan Day's obviously cognizant of that and working to fix it with with some of the changes to the to the roster and the way that they're trying to rebuild things. But it, it, it certainly is concerning that teams are not like intimidated by Ohio State right now and they're not. Yeah, it feels like they they think that they can come out and maybe try to punch Ohio State in the mouth. Now that doesn't always work. Sometimes they come out and do it, and they they swing, and then Ohio State throws a ball seventy yards over your head, and the game's over. Um, but sometimes that that first punch can land, and um, I think Ohio State has been better at, at at taking those kind of lumps this year and finding a way. Uh, I do want to give them some credit for that. I think I think they are tougher, if that's what you want to call it maybe than they were last year. At least I feel that way at the moment. 
Um, but I don't. It, it, it's a different animal when they play Michigan. But um, yeah, well, I will you, say that that re- leads right into my last note, which says they've won twenty eight straight against unranked teams, more than anybody in the country, and I don't think that they win this game Saturday in twenty eighteen. I don't think they win this game last year uh, because I felt like they didn't have the mental toughness to to be imperfect and win. But I you are seeing that improvement, but no one wants that improvement because you don't want to have to deal with imperfection to to have to prove it. Right. And nobody, yeah, no one, and no one is going to give you your flowers for like finding a way to be, right. <laughs> to beat Northwestern, regardless of the circumstances. Uh, the Ohio state is better than Northwestern to the point where they should have moved that team up and down the field uh, on Saturday. Uh, I don't care if it was played in a hurricane, like a category five hurricane, they should have been able to do that. And they didn't. So, um, but they have two weeks before the Michigan game to, again, I said it before the Northwestern game, it still remains true. Now they can build better habits and good habits and try to get back to playing a, a more, um, I don't know, complete style of football, I guess, that they were playing before they had their week off, which has seemed to have eluded, have eluded them a little bit here over the last three weeks. Yeah, I, I think it's just about attitude from here on out. you got to know you're better and play like it. And, um, you know, there were a lot of people talking about how good they were in the first six weeks of the season. And I'm not saying that they, it was rat poison or any of that stuff, but certainly now you got to listen to it on the other side and people doubting you. And so I guess you'll find out as a program, does that bother you? And are you willing to, you know, do what it takes to, to prove that it's not correct? So who knows? Anything else? Nope. I think we hit on everything I had here. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a lot more talk about this game and what it means and, um, you know, what Buckeyes have to do coming out of it. But that will, you know, happen throughout the week on the podcast and over at ohiostate.rivals.com. You can sign up there using uh, promo code DTE30 to get a free month. And join us in the Letterman, uh, you know, the Horseshoe Lounge. Sorry. Sometimes you still get lost. <laughs> I was talking about 2021. Um, you know, anyway, that's Bill Landis. I'm Jeremy Birmingham. We'll be at Roosters on Old Tangy River Road on Monday, about 1130 a.m. If you want to join us there, we'll be talking more ball and eating some wings. And uh, otherwise, that'll be pretty much it for Monday on the podcast. But you'll see us there and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Bye.